Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. We want to reflect back on that last night because... Over the last few years, uh, wearing the different hats here, I've had this man just in my ear with his uh, commentary. And then you see him in the coach's box. And you know, we go all the way back to uh, the early 90s um, and his association with uh, Jim Courier back-to-back here and uh, famously jumping into the Yarra. But I, I love listening to his analysis. And he's doing a mighty job with uh, Tommy Paul, who's just had his best run at a major making the semifinals. It's uh, a warm welcome to Brad Stein, his coach. Good to see you. Thank you so much. It's good to be seen. How do you, how do you reflect back? On uh, last night, and I'm keen also to ask, you know, in that 48-hour window leading up to the semi-final, how invincible Djokovic was against Dimonor and Rublev. And I know, I know you won't take us totally inside, uh, Brad, as to how you right now formulate a game plan for Novak on this court in particular. Well, the 48 hours leading up after Tommy won his quarterfinal, I mean, we were feeling pretty good. <laughs> we weren't feeling so good last night after the uh, after the match. You know, when you say reflecting on that that situation. But, I mean, leading into it, you know, despite the fact that he had uh, pretty much demolished uh, Alex Deminar and and, uh, and Rublev, you got to go into the match feeling that you have a chance, you know. And, and uh, we did feel like that. We felt if Tommy could produce his best tennis that he uh, he definitely did have a chance within the match. You know, it, it didn't pan out quite that way. The first set was obviously close disappointing that he ended up um, dropping his serve at 5-6 after getting back, you know, down two breaks, breaks back twice to get even, and then ends up losing serve again. You know, the the uh, 30 love up in that game serving at 5-6, and then the 30 all point, he kind of flagged a, a forehand long, and that cost him. And um, so it was, and after that it was, you know, he's just trying to play catch up the whole time, which is exactly what had happened in the previous two matches as well. Yep. You know, Novak's just, I mean, we talked about before the match, I literally said to Tommy, I hope he plays his best tennis. I want to see Novak playing his best tennis and see if you can keep up with him. Mm. And that's not just a statement by me. That's what I want to see because I want to see where Tommy can lift his game to. And those kind of environments and playing that kind of guy uh, force you to do that. And and you, you hopefully see that you can play at a higher level. Tommy, in my opinion, did not produce his best tennis last night for any period of time whatsoever in the match. He played some very good points, yep. played a few points here and there back to back, but in my opinion, he didn't really he didn't really even produce like his best tennis probably in a complete game. So it it, it was a little bit frustrating from that standpoint. You you look at it and you're like, "Okay, did he not produce his best tennis because it's his first semifinal and the the situation and the, and where he was and playing Novak or was it because Novak wasn't allowing him to play his best tennis and I think it's a combination of both those things. So how, how did he reflect? What were he, his immediate thoughts in just you know having come off the court in battle with Djokovic? Yeah, I mean when when we you know got back together and he he was in the cool down area and everything. I, I mean he just immediately was you know obviously not very happy. It's it's one of those things where uh, a good friend of mine who's a great coach, Tom Gullickson, mm. said to me a long, long, long time ago that uh, a coach had said to him when he was younger, you need 30 minutes of insanity after a loss. And um, and, and I, I, I like to try and follow that. So, like, sometimes I'll give guys space. 
you know, I'll come, I'll, I'll always come and see the guys and shake their hands and say bad luck or whatever. But it kind of depends on where they are as to whether we start a conversation right then or we kind of wait a little bit. Tommy was in a frame where, you know, he wanted to start talking right away. So he obviously was very disappointed, was unhappy with himself, felt like he didn't serve as well as he needed to. Again, I think some of it in the moment for him, maybe in reflection now, I haven't actually talked to Tommy today. I mean, I texted with him a couple times, but I haven't really seen him. He's got his girlfriend here, so I don't know where they are, but they're out exploring Melbourne, hopefully. Um but he, you know, you're a little bit unrealistic when you first come off the court, uh, and I, I think that he was um, pretty unhappy with himself. But I don't think he was probably giving Novak enough credit for for what he did last night. The the return numbers, if you look at the statistics yeah. from the match, I mean, this is the first year TAs, you know, supplying us with a an iPad in the coaches mm-hmm. box area, and you have tons of information right in front of you, which I have to say was a benefit during Tommy's match against uh, Ben Shelton, but. Um, Against Novak, I mean, I was just looking at the numbers on the on the screen and just like going, "This is impossible!" Like, how's he actually doing what he's doing? He he <laughs> yep. he. Uh, I, I, I took a picture. I took a picture, a screenshot of it because he um, he was returning. I think eighty three percent. This is at the very end of the match. Mm-hmm. Like this is like when we were done, pretty much. Eighty three percent. I think of forehand returns went in play. That's on both first and second serves, and ninety two percent of backhands. So. Tommy saying, like, you know, I didn't serve well enough. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, you didn't serve well enough. I'm, I'm not sure that it would have made any difference. The, the, the guy was a machine. Yeah, it's phenomenal to watch. Phenomenal. Brad, I'd be curious because I was listening to Tommy last night when he came in. And he said he was in the mood to talk, and I thought he was pretty uh, frank and good in the press afterward, but he was saying that, um, well, I had a plan, and basically it was kind of like the Mike Tyson thing where you know, once you get punched in the mouth, then your plan goes right <laughs> out the window. But he was sort of saying that uh, I wanted to serve a volley, I wanted to drop shot. I wanted to, uh, you know, chip my backhand. And he kind of said all three of those things kind of failed on me. But you are got in-match coaching this year, obviously, here. You're able to do that. And you have that iPad with you where you can look at all the numbers. Did you yeah. try to influence him to get back to those plans, or was wasn't possible? I mean, I, I was disappointed, and that's one of the things we spoke about after the match. The biggest thing that was a disappointment to me was that he didn't serve in volley at all in the match, not, not, not even one time. And, and especially when you're getting beat the way you're getting beat, you know, I mean, what's the difference if you get beat serving and volleying? You're you're already you know getting your patootie handed to you in in the match, so you might as well try and do some things that are a little bit different. So, th- I mean, that was part of the plan. Uh, we had some patterns of play that we felt like you know could be effective uh, against him. He broke down those patterns. You know, I, I don't know if he literally like read our minds or something and knew exactly you know what Tommy was going to try and do but he didn't allow those patterns to happen because he was changing direction within the rally so early and and dictating and controlling what was going on and I I think it's been a it's been a little bit of a key throughout the entire tournament with Novak but he's playing bigger off the ground he's just hitting his ground strokes bigger and he he was taking time away from Tommy and and uh making it really hard for him to play. I did, you know, at one point I stood up and leaned over the little barrier thing up there and and yelled down to him and asked him to back up a little bit and give a little more space so that he got a little more time and could take a full cut on his ground strokes. Um, But even with that, it, it, you know, it just didn't make that much difference. And also, I know you talked to me the other day, we did an interview for the New York Times, and you were talking about how his forehand's improved so much, especially his running forehand. 
but it seemed like Novak just knew where to put the ball, so he was kind of right at the edge of his talent there a lot, yeah, again that, and again. I mean, again, Chris, for me, that was a disappointment, you know, is that we, we felt like and through the majority of this tournament, you know, his forehand's been very good. He, he's, he's done a lot of damage with his forehand. Novak, obviously, Novak's a big stats guy. He, he likes looking at the analytics and the numbers, and, um, you know, he obviously targeted Tommy's forehand right from the beginning last night. He was, he was picking on his forehand. He was serving a lot to the forehand. He was hitting a, a lot of ground strokes to the forehand, and Tommy's forehand did not hold up. And, and that was one of the things we talked about after the match also that was, you know, it was a disappointment that, um, that he wasn't able to really stay with him from that standpoint, you know. And, again, I look at that, and it, the question is, was that Novak? Was that the environment? Um, you know, what was the situation? So, you know, Chris, you and I spoke about this the other day, and I, I think I was being very frank and, and honest about it. You know, I mean, if, if before the tournament started you said the 35th-ranked guy in the world – would be in the semifinals of the Australian Open playing Novak Djokovic, what chance do you give him in that match? You'd say very little, you know. So it, it wasn't a surprise necessarily. Again, I go back to the comment that it was disappointing that Tommy didn't really have the opportunity or couldn't create uh, his best tennis for any longer period within the within the match, you know, where he might have been able to at least create a little bit of scoreboard pressure, um, you know, and, and maybe sneak something out. The, the first set was obviously, if he gets to the breaker, you know, who knows? It's one point here or there. You take a little bit of risk, take a rip at a ball, and you hit a winner or something, and all of a sudden you can win that set, you know. But, um, you know, and from there, who knows what happens? Maybe maybe he loses 2-2-2 two, two, and two after that, you know, and it's basically the same kind of match anyway, but... It does seem, though, from watching him, Brad, and you'd know this from you know being around him so much with Novak, because of the leg injury and what his abilities are to adapt, he was ramping up the pace on the strokes from the beginning of the tournament, really, going for more winners, and he hits it so clean that he can he can do that. And yeah. it's, it's like when he kind of wants to, he can. Yeah, no, absolutely. The thing, again, the thing that stood out to me first and foremost last night was the returning. And if you break that down and look at the second serve returning, he was adding pace to Tommy's serve on the return. He was he was sending the return back with as much or more authority than what Tommy was hitting the serve with. So that starts the point out, and then he's not missing very much off the ground. He's hitting the ball bigger off the ground than he has historically. And, I mean, he was unloading on balls last night, absolutely unloading. I don't know. You know, on TV it's probably hard to tell. Um, on radio, it's probably even harder to tell. But um, it's, uh, I mean, he was really, really cracking balls and taking time away. And then you add on top of that that he was being incredibly precise with where he was hitting the ball, the depth on his ground strokes through the court. And then when he wanted to try and go closer to the lines, I mean, he was on top of, of coming super close to lines on the sidelines. So, I mean, basically the guy played uh, goat tennis. You know, I mean, it was... He's he's one of the herd of goats, and uh, and he, I mean, he showed it last night. He showed it in the last, you know, he showed it in the entire tournament, but the last three matches especially, I mean, he's just been demolishing guys. Yeah, we've sat here, Brad, and watched uh, the the trifecta uh, throughout the course of this week. Uh, been quite phenomenal. Brad Stein, our special guest in the box, uh, building up to the women's final. Coach of Tommy Paul into battle with Djokovic uh, last night. The just the big picture of. Uh, Tommy, you've worked with so many different players. You've been in this coaching caper a long time. Uh, we've got a, a big you know, group of American men inside the top 50, inside the top 100. I want to ask you about a couple who have been unearthed here in uh, a bigger light. But what did you think he was sort of capable of, Tommy, when you started to work with him? And 
you know, obviously, you know, some players, rightly or wrongly, they sort of have a ceiling. This is a tough, brutal game, the men's game, as we know, but there seems to be more opportunities than ever before because, you know, Federer's gone, Nadal towards the end now, Djokovic may go on for the next three or four years, but there's actually opportunity. But where did you think he could sort of get to, Tommy? Uh, I mean, it, you know, it's hard. When I first started with Tommy, I mean, there was a lot of question marks in my own mind. Um, you know, we we spent uh, we spent the end of the year 2019 together. He was still playing challenger level tennis then. He was he was ranked about 130 in the world, excuse me, um, when we first started, and he was doing very well at the challenger level. But I mean, I had actual doubts that that he, he could necessarily be a top 50, top 30 kind of guy. And then. You know, as we've spent more time and he's developed and his game has continued to progress, I mean, he's continued to prove me wrong from that thinking back then, you know, and you start to see what he's capable of and more and more and more. And even just in the last weeks before we came here, uh, you know, Tommy didn't play doubles here. And the reason he didn't play doubles here is because we had a situation that occurred at the U.S. Open where he was supposed to play doubles and um, he ended up having to pull out because he won his first two rounds in five sets. And it made no sense for him going into the match against Casper Ruud in the third round to play doubles on the off day. It just wasn't the right thing to do for him to be as ready as he could be. So we talked about not playing doubles here with the idea that we thought Tommy can be a second-week guy. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean we thought semis. We just thought, you know, he's going to continue to progress and, and hopefully improve his ranking and get deeper in the tournaments. But we've talked about the fact that I don't want him to play doubles for the next two years mm -hmm. while we kind of determine yep. and his results determine where he's going to fit into the hierarchy of tennis. Now, he's cracked the top 20 with with this result here. The question is, can he stay there? Can he continue to have better results? We're trying to make a push this year for the best results that we can in the bigger tournaments, in the Masters 1000s and the Grand Slams, because that's where you really no can push your ranking. Yep. So... We've made a decision for him to cut a few tournaments out of his schedule so that we can focus more on, on being as prepared as he can for those events and see if he can continue to have these kind of results and, and get deep in the tournaments. Can I ask you, just taking your Tommy Paul hat off for just a moment, <laughs> now that we're getting right down to the business end, can Pass find any chink in the armour of Novak come tomorrow night? Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, I don't think... I mean, I haven't looked through his entire draw. I'm not even sure who Novak played earlier in the, in the rounds, but Stefanos does things that some of the other guys don't do. Um, can he hold up backhand to backhand with Novak? We'll see, but the one thing that he does do off of his backhand side is he gets the ball up more. He, he lifts the ball, and there's more rotation, and the ball comes up more. I mean, Tommy, Alex, Rublev, they're, they're all more drive hitters, mm. especially off the backhand side. Mm. And the ball stays down, and it's pretty much right in uh, right in Novak's slot where he likes to hit the ball out of. So it'll be interesting for me, in my mind, to see if Stefanos's natural tendency to, to shape the ball a little bit more off the backhand side and get it up can, if that has any effect, any negative effect on Novak's ability to produce the shots like he wants to. Um, I'm sure he'll counter that. In some way, you know, he may come closer and take the ball on the rise more. Yep. Um, you know, he's going to do different things. If, if he's feeling like, oh, the ball's getting up on me too much, it's a little uncomfortable up here, he's going to make adjustments. That's one of the things that he's incredibly good at doing. So, I mean, it's, you know, the matches are played for a reason, right? And um, Stefanos is a great player. Mm -hmm. He's got a lot more experience at this 
uh, tail end of these kind of deep, big tournaments than the other guys that, that he, Novak's been playing leading up to this. So we'll, we'll have to see, you know, how he's feeling. If he can come out and play with a great sense of confidence and self-belief, then as long as you can hold serve and you can develop some right. scoreboard pressure, yep. then, you know, you've got a chance. But everybody so far that's been playing Novak has been getting behind. Yeah, behind he, the eyeball very early. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, there are three sectors from having watched him, you know, not as a coach, but as a journalist from the outside. One is the, uh, the return game from Stefano, especially on the backhand side, has not been a strength for him. Been invulnerable when, you know, served well to on that side. He seems like he's doing it better in this tournament. He's, he's back a bit more from the baseline. He seems like he's trying to rip through that backhand return from a deeper position. The other thing is, remember last year here when he played Medvedev, that backhand chip looked, you know, not world-class. Yeah. And you're going to have to have a world-class backhand chip. And I know that Tommy, as you said earlier, didn't use it enough last night, probably for your taste against Novak. And the third thing is it seems to me like, um, you know, everybody – looking at Novak's game and how well he's striking the ball and how well he defends the baseline. And, you know, Brad talking about the need to serve in volley last night that didn't happen. It mm -hmm. seems like you need Stefanos with his good volleying skills and athleticism yeah. to get up there at least a good chunk of the time. So I think how that pattern plays out, does he serve in volley some? Is he able to really hit, a, you know, approach shots, ripping them? Probably not a whole lot of chipping is going to work against Novak to make him get in a position to hit winning volleys. That seems to be like a good play for me, but I'd be curious what Brad thinks of those three things. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're exactly right, especially the return really sticks out in my mind. He's he's made a big adjustment this year with returning from a much deeper position off second serves especially because you can, I mean, historically guys have been able to kind of rush him into the backhand side and he gets caught and he gets kind of late on the swing and he either, if he makes it, it kind of doesn't penetrate through the court so you get a good whack at the first ball. Or, or a lot of times he'll, not a lot of times, but he'll, you know, he'll just miss it outright some of the time. So I think that that deeper position is definitely something that, that has given him an opportunity to get into more points. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he's able to create that with Novak and if he, if, if he can make it work for him where he's able to put enough pressure on him. I mean, Tommy, Tommy had opportunities to break Novak last night that he didn't capitalize on. He broke him a couple times in that first set. Um, there were other opportunities where he had break points and just didn't, you know, make the plays to, to finish off and be able to make the breaks. But, uh, again, I think Stefanos is going to be more comfortable in the environment as well. So we'll see. And, and, you know, we haven't talked about his forehand, but his forehand is, you know, very heavy. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see if he can step up and use the extra pace that Novak is creating off of his ground strokes. And, and be able to put that back on him with his own. Yeah, I think, what, 26 winners off that uh, forehand uh, last night. It was well, yesterday afternoon. It was pretty devastating. Just um, a couple more from me, uh, Brad. This, the American pack, I mean, it's batting deep. Uh, the Aussie audience here got some exposure to young Ben Shelton. Knocked out our very own Alexi Popram. I watched all these sort of challenges uh, last year and love watching him. A little bit of a swagger, a little bit of charisma out there. The lefty always you know, adds something a little bit different. But he looks like... He's going to be one that's going to be sticking around. Seb Corder, we know, is uh, where he lands eventually. It'll, it'll be uh, fascinating. JJ Wolf is taking a, a big sort of step in the right direction. Um, talk talk through, you know, some of Tommy's contemporaries, and they're all sort of jockeying and pushing each other. And it's not only in that top fifty, but in the top one hundred. Yeah, it's been fun to watch as we see more and more guys. You know, Ben coming out, especially. You know, he he was. Uh, he just made a meteoric rise to, to getting into the top 100. He's already passed his father's career high ranking. And um, so, yeah, Ben's one, obviously, to keep an eye on. I think also we, we do have to, 
you know, be honest from that bottom quarter of the draw. Ben came out of that bottom quarter, as did Tommy. Yep. And and they had pretty advantageous draws. You have to be able to take advantage of your draw. But before Ben played Tommy, he hadn't played anybody inside the top 50. He actually played two guys that were outside mm-hmm. the top 100. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that had he had a tougher draw, potentially he might not have made it as far as he did. That's not to say that he's not going to be a great player. I think he is. And Tommy, literally after the match in the quarter, said that I have never had as tough a time returning someone's serve as Ben's serve. He said the, the way it came off the court, and he said it was like Tommy's very, very good at finding little tells in guys' serve sometimes where he can get a read on where the guy's going to go. He said he couldn't read Ben's serve at all. He said he had absolutely no clue where Ben's serve was going, which is maybe why he asked his coach which way he should look on one serve. <laughs> but you should never answer that if you're a coach, I guess, from now on. I'll tell you, I was feeling for the ball kid, though. <laughs> Just having to duck and weave. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they, were, they were coming down to rapid uh, pace. So Tommy's off to play uh, Davis Cup. Davis Cup. In the mighty Uzbekistan. In, in beautiful Uzbekistan. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I do have to say, uh, obviously I'm involved with him, but I'm very proud of Tommy that he's um, made the commitment to play Davis Cup mm-hmm. and that um, going as deep as he did in the tournament here didn't... Um, didn't even sway his mind for even one second about the idea that he was committed to go and play Davis Cup for the U.S. Can I just ask you a quick view on the Davis Cup? Obviously, sure. it's a huge talking point. We saw the Grand Slam board come out and make their own statement last night about wanting to keep its uh, its history. We know the whole deal with the ITF and Cosmos, and there's been obviously a lot of opposition here in Australia with our rich um, uh, history with the uh, Davis Cup. Do you think it can be resurrected? What what's the, what does it look like going forward? Because we, it clearly. Yeah, for I mean, apart, really. for me, there's two things that should happen. The one is that you have to bring back home and away ties. I think that's where you create the most excitement. Yeah, I, I think that there was a a misguided view that you could somehow create excitement by playing at a neutral site, no. but but it just didn't didn't happen at all. And of course, you know, when you play home and aways, you lose some of your viewership as as you progress through the draw. Yep. But you know, if you play a home tie here against anybody, it's sold out. If you play a home tie in France or Italy or Spain or anywhere else or anywhere in South America, you know, it, it's sold out. And that environment creates so much energy, uh, whether it's on the TV or radio or people there live watching the matches. And that's one of the things that's always been the greatest about Davis Cup. No doubt. So for me, that's it's first, is you bring yeah. back the home and away ties. And then second is that I, I can live personally, I don't like it to be honest, but I can live with two out of three sets instead yep. of three out of five sets. But you have to bring back the reverse singles. Mm. You, you need to go back to the format where you play two singles on Friday, a, a doubles match on Saturday, and two singles on Sunday. Because two out of three matches just creates it, – it's like anything. I say this all the time. Um, you shorten a format, you create a much greater degree of luck. Yep. And there's going to be way more upsets. And, and you you don't want that necessarily. I mean, I, again, I, I don't know, maybe people sat in a, in a room someplace and said, hey, yeah, we want more upsets. We want to have things happen, you know, or whatever. But I don't think that's what you want. You want the best teams to progress yep. through the draw. So for me, those are the two biggest things. And, and that brings it back at least close to where the traditional Davis Cup was before. Let's hope wise minds get together and uh, get it sorted. Brad, great to get your insights, pick your brain. Love listening to you and 
Uh, good luck to Tom. You're going to follow his journey uh, post his semi-final result to see where he can uh, kick on to. And you've won us over tonight because you've brought in gifts as well to keep us fueled <laughs> for a big night of uh, singles and the Aussies and the doubles. We're going to get through maybe to midnight uh, tonight. Uh, safe travels this year and really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much, you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, Brad Stein, the current coach of Tommy Paul, who was, of course, in battle with uh, Novak Djokovic uh, last night here on Rod Laver Arena.